Welcome back to the Deshaun Dawn podcast. This episode is specifically about missing murdered indigenous women, girls, and men. This is an epidemic that has been affecting the indigenous community for centuries. It is time to prevent violence from happening to our indigenous women and men. It is time to educate others and how they can help the movement. Four out of five indigenous women will go through physical or sexual violence. Domestic abuse is an issue that affects the MMIWG cases, and it is also an unreported issue in Native American households or families. Domestic abuse is when someone is being emotionally or physically abused by their significant other, whether that be a heterosexual or homosexual relationship, between two adults or adolescents. I grew up in a household with domestic abuse problems. It was not regularly, only when my father tried to be in the family. I have two indigenous sisters. The younger one is too young to remember the events. The older one has some memories of it, but mostly I kept them from seeing or hearing the abuse because I was the oldest and because I was the best brother I could be. And um, it's traumatic for, it was traumatic for me just to see and hear it, but it, it was even more traumatic to see my sisters more scared and as I was. And, um, I promised myself that I would keep them safe. And I promise myself now to keep other indigenous women safe from any type of abuse. And that is why I talk about missing murdered indigenous women and girls and men. Domestic abuse victims may not be able to leave the relationship because of insecurities, financial dependency, embarrassment. Or maybe because they have children with their significant other. Even after the assault, the victim could still have trauma, which could cause them to self-harm, begin addiction issues, panic attacks, have post-traumatic stress disorder, or even commit suicide. And this is why we need resources around these women, around these victims, so that way they, they can get the help that they need. Now let's take a look at the missing reports of Indigenous women in 2016. 5,700 were reported. Only 116, or 2.04%, were logged into the Department of Justice's Missing Persons database. Now as what I said earlier, these cases are not handled correctly as other non-Indigenous cases. Now you may ask yourself, well, what happens to these other cases that aren't 
given justice or even reported well or put into this database well they have left families inconsolable with no answers but just rumors and some of these families have taken into their own investigation now one of the problems onto why these cases aren't being solved or properly investigated is the jurisdictional issues between the governments on tribal land. There are three government systems made to protect people on Indian reservations, the tribal government, state government, and finally the federal government. Jurisdiction protocols tribal police have to follow are challenging and very confusing for people who do not who are not familiar with these protocols. If you're wondering why I'm sounding like a robot or if I'm sounding like I'm reading something, I'm reading from an essay I wrote for a college class, and this is my essay that I've written. On most reservations, the tribal government can charge their own members the way they see fit, but when it comes to non-members who commit a crime on the reservation, they cannot. When it comes to major crimes such as rape or murder, tribal police can't even charge their own members of the crimes. These cases are then handled or handed to the BIA or the Federal Bureau of Investigation. These, ca these cases then are investigated on the time of the two branches. The case may be justified in a time of months, years, or honestly never. Another reason victims are not found or not given justice is that the tribal police are sometimes not allowed onto federal missing persons databases. These databases are not updated that regularly compared to how many reports are made to missing Aboriginal men and women. So if we talk more about these issues and we get these issues to higher ups or people head of power in the government and they change these protocols, these cases will decrease or they will be solved and justified. But until then, we have to keep raising awareness and talking more about this. Now, I want to go and talk about a specific victim of this epidemic. Her name was Ashley Heavy Runner Loring. She was only 20 years old when she went missing in June 2017 from the Blackfeet Reservation in Montana. The reservation is 1.5 million acres and only 18 officer, officers patrol the area. The BIA, who is responsible for, for crimes made on the reservation, took two months after an initial investigation from the tribal police to further investigate her disappearance. The federal government has made the BIA one of the most underpaid branches in the United States, which has caused a lack of funding to the tribal police, which has not allowed them to employ any more officers on the team. Ashley's case is just one in thousands of cases of unsolved Native American missing and murdered cases. A documentary was created in 2018 by The Guardian. It focuses on Ashley's family after a year of her disappearance and the tribal police on the Blackfeet Reservation. After nine months, the FBI had finally taken the lead on the investigation. According to the documentary, there has been no arrests made after 18 months 
Ashley Loring appeared on the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. Now, maybe if tribal police had more officers on their team, and if the BIA and federal government would take these cases more seriously, they would have investigated cases like Ashley Heavy Runners more thoroughly and had more officers patrolling the reservation at the same time. Now, why might the government or the or any person of the head of the law or people in power might not take these cases so serious? It may come from the stereotypes of Native Americans. An enrolled member of a tribe in Washington was reported missing by her daughter, Caroline DeFord, in 1999. To this day, she has not been found, nor have there been any conclusions to what had happened to her. Her daughter told a reporter of ABC News that the police did not start investigating her report till weeks later, and up to the point they did not think her case was serious. Now, what stereotypes do Native Americans have put on them? Some may be that we are too busy crying over things that have happened in the past. Stereotypes that Native American women look just like Pocahontas and dress like her too. Or that uh, Native American women are just sexual figures. And if and if other re, other Native American population in other cities like mine, the one I grew up in, some people consider Native Americans just as drunks or crazy or druggies. Now, these stereotypes affect people on how they perceive this epidemic, and if they want to bring awareness to this issue or not. Now, I conducted an interview only asking Aboriginal men and women their thoughts and opinions on the crisis of missing, murdered Indigenous women and men. One question that I asked is if they think stereotypes have affected cases for missing, murdered Indigenous women and men. One of the interviewees, a Native American male, described what a non-Indigenous person might say about this epidemic. They had brushed this off as, oh, that, that Indian was probably drunk. That's what happens when you drink and decide to leave. This shows this, what he said obviously shows victim blaming of what a person might, of what a person might say. Victim blaming is when someone who is a victim of a crime is held partially or fully accountable for a harm that is done to them. It typically is prejudice against domestic violence victims and rape victims. But during this crisis, some people have used it as an excuse into why these women and men have gone missing or murdered. Referring to her case, her mother's case, Caroline DeFord also said, We hear about victim blaming in the news all the time. And when indigenous women goes missing, their whole life is under the microscope and there's excused by law enforcement as to where they could be. 
and where they should be and why they aren't there. Now, that was in 1999. And I made this essay last year. So I have not updated if anything has happened in that case. But I hope and pray that Caroline DeFord gets some answers or some some type of relief of what happened to her mother. But that's that's just one of many examples of how stereotypes and victim blaming affect, affect this epidemic. Now, going back to what I said, that we need more voices to fix these issues and we need to raise more awareness, I conducted an interview several days ago with an amazing indigenous woman who has her own beading business. Her name is Jessica McKenzie, and here is the interview. Hello? Hi, is this Sean? Yes, this is he. Is this Jessica? Yes, it is. How are you? I'm good, you? I'm good. I'm so excited. Right? I know. I'm so excited for you to be on here because so I found you on Instagram because I saw your custom piece of the missing murder indigenous woman uh, on canvas. And you said that was your first uh, on cam on canvas beating. Yeah, so I, I started off with that, and you know what? It, it absolutely blew up. And I'm just really happy because a lot of it actually went back to, to the cause, um, you know, and it really created awareness around our community, um, to even non-Indigenous people. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So just tell us a little about yourself and your business, because I think others would love to know about you and your business. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for reaching out. I think that that's super brave of you and just going out there and reaching out to the community and also giving awareness is absolutely great. Thank you. Um, but just to give you, absolutely. So just to give you a little bit more context about myself. So um, my name is Jessica McKenzie and um, during the day I work at a bank, but at night I am a full-time dog mom as well as a beater. Um and I recently started um, my side hustle called Future Kukum, which actually translates over to future grandmother. And not a lot of people know this, but, um, you know, within the indigenous community, our, our elders are seen as highly respected um, and, of course, full of knowledge. So For hopefully sure. I can pass on some of those, you know, traditional learnings over to indigenous youth in the future. Um, but that's just a little bit about me and the business. Um, yeah, but if you want to see more, there's always more on Instagram at futurecocom, or you could also visit our website, futurecocom.com. All right. When did you first get into beading? Yeah, great question. Um, I started about a year and a half ago with my sister, and at the time, we were just looking or not only a hobby, but also, you know, how do we really connect to our indigenous roots? Totally. Both her and I, um, we actually don't live on a reserve. So it's, again, like, how do we connect back to our heritage um, without physically being on the res, right? Mm -hmm. So we just thought that it was great. 
I well, I think your business will flourish in the future. It's amazing your work. Oh, thanks so much. You're so sweet. So, let's just get started with the questions. So I sent you these prior. So let's just get started. Yeah. So four out of five in indigenous women go through violence whether that be physical or sexual how do you think we should protect these women yeah and it's such a great question um as i think that it's not a topic that is seen a lot when we look at you know canadian news um so i'm really glad that that you're bringing this up Mm -hmm. um but i guess right now we could first kind of take a step back and look at what's happening today right there's yes. really a lack of reporting and data and, and even reports on violence against indigenous women um and as we know about like six out of ten of those incidents are not reported mm-hmm. right there yes. we can see an extreme lack of police accountability and protection on these women um there's also racism on our women being sexualized there's continuous stereotypes just on indigenous people in general mm-hmm. right and exactly that really makes, yeah it really makes like a massive increase on vulnerability towards these indigenous women mm-hmm. and children right yeah so back to your question of like how does the government but also how does the public protect these women um i kind of see it in two parts and the first is with the government so okay. really increasing you know pressure on the police to take accountability i think that's going to be number one totally um, but also complete also complete like cultural sensitivity training because you know if you're not going to get educated on who we are and what we stand for you're not going to be able to communicate with us in the best way possible definitely agree um, yeah and next I, I also see is increasing on like tracking and reporting but also just overall really forming a strong relationship with their Indigenous communities, right? Totally. Um, Moving over to public, right, and how could others, even like allies, non-Indigenous people, help out the cause? Yeah. Um, And it's really just supporting and either attending like a vigil or attending marches, watching documentaries, and just getting full awareness of what the cause is. Yes. and I know that, like, even sharing something as simple as an Instagram post, right, or supporting small businesses, or just educating yourself and supporting overall. Um, and, and one thing that, that I actually see since my day-to-day job, um, I do work at a bank, and a lot of that is actually going out to um, going out to campuses across Canada. Is I'm starting to see the Red Dress campaign, mm-hmm. um, which makes me quite happy because as you see, like. Youth, um, indigenous and non-indigenous are starting to become aware of how severe this crisis is, and it's just kind of starting from the ground up and making sure that not only are aware but we're also supporting. Totally. All right. So I talked about in a previous episode the fetishize the fetishization of Pocahontas and Native American women in film. Do you think those type of stereotypes contribute to the missing murder indigenous women cases? Um, and I still think that we need to go a little bit deeper on this because I'm totally sure. on par with you. It, it totally affects, you know, how individuals look at Indigenous women, right? And, exactly. Um, I guess, yeah, and I guess we need to kind of take a step back here and even look at 
like the history, right? And mm-hmm. within our media, women are seen and even called, and I absolutely hate this saying, as like the dirty squaw, yeah. right? Um, and it's just such a sexual term put on indigenous women. And yeah. the more we hear about these stereotypes, it just leads to more acceptance of violence, right? Yes. Um, and even if we even look at our history, like, now we're putting these women and we're putting these children into vulnerable situations such as like 60 scoop or residential schools where it's difficult for them to even access let's just say safety networks or their family or or their community overall um and just looking at them in that way just makes them very easy targets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you and so then also another question I have is why do you think missing murder indigenous women and girls are is not that much discussed compared to other movements or atrocities? Yeah, and this is it, it honestly makes me so furious because to me it's Oh me as so well. Important. Um, yeah, like I, I'm actually fuming right now. <laughs> but um like it actually makes me so mad because it's just a important as you know black lives matter right and for sure when when you just send me this question i i kind of needed to ask like some of my allies so asking some of my non-indigenous friends mm-hmm. um like do you know about tina fontaine or do you know about like helen betty osborne right and yes especially with helen betty osborne like she was a Cree woman mm-hmm. specifically on um like my res that was abducted and killed by four white men, right? And to my friends that I brought this up, they had no idea about these things, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's not something that's brought up within our media. It's not something that is as important to non-Indigenous people. Um, and that's, it, it honestly makes me upset, right? Yes. To us, this is, these are our people, these are our mothers, these are, you know, cousins, sisters, aunties. Exactly. Um, you know, daughters. Right, so it makes me upset that it's not as visible as let's just say Black Lives Matter or any other cause out there. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is a national crisis, right? So exactly. Thinking of it as as it. And I agree. The lack of coverage that our that this is getting is atrocious. It's like, you know, we we have been this has been going on since Pocahontas was alive and that was, you know, and so it's just, it's just crazy how it's still, it's, it's getting more and more talked about, but it's still not getting the full coverage it should get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, again, like it makes me very upset and it's like, where do we even, like, who do we need to escalate this to? Totally. You know? um, Stephen Harper didn't care. Right. Yeah. Even when we look at Trudeau, he has this like smiling face on him. But yeah, we care about indigenous issues, blah blah blah. But at the same time, we don't even have like adequate housing or um, like drinking water on on reserves. Right. So it's it's really we need to see some action here. For sure. All right. So um, the federal. So as you said before, the federal government has lost track of the missing, murdered indigenous women cases. And families have had to do their own investigations. How could we as a public, do you think, keep track of these cases? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? I actually see it. Um, it. It's kind of upsetting that, one, we 
are trying to push back on the federal government to now, you know, push for these changes. And I, I do see a major disconnect to seeing the federal government as, you know, um, funding initiatives such as like the Sisters in Spirit initiative, mm-hmm. um, where they're funding about, um, you know, providing research and providing awareness about violence against Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to create databases or include different frameworks for even like addressing or preventing violence. But as I said before, there is that major disconnect between what we're saying and what the federal federal government is trying to push and the relationship with our national police, right? Mm-hmm. I think we really need to now put pressure on the police, as I said before, taking accountability, um, taking training, increasing this tracking and reporting, and again, building those strong relationships with Indigenous communities just to ensure that, um, you know, if one of our mothers or one of our cousins or sisters do go through something like this, we have the trust in the police to be able to track and to be able to to fully go out there and find our family members. For sure. And so what do you think the tribal governments should may, should do to in order to protect these women? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. Um, and I'm really glad that, that you asked that because... You know, just doing some research, and uh, a majority of my friends are Indigenous. We, we do talk about this topic a lot, mm-hmm. um, and there is a major fact that it, it could be quite surprising to us, but about 53% of these homicide cases of Indigenous women were actually committed by family members, right, by somebody they know. So when we're looking at what could the tribal council do or what could some of our leaders within the reserve do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that, that there's a couple different things. One, truly supporting families and allies, right? It could be through ceremony or through um, spiritual or community support or even providing mental health counseling. For sure. Um, and really ensuring that, that they're there not only for the immediate family, but those around them. I think, I think you said it so perfectly. Just the more, the more they, the more resources that we have on the reservations, the more I think the protection will be there. Exactly. No, I completely agree there. And so I think the last question I have is: Indigenous men are murdered at a higher rate than the than women. Why do you think this doesn't get brought up enough? Oh yeah, this probably makes me as mad as you know not having enough visibility on Indigenous women uh, alone in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I I totally agree. I think that even when we look at, you know, certain initiatives um, held by the federal government or even some of these campaigns or awareness, it's really, it it really does lack the focus on either Indigenous men, Indigenous boys, trans individuals, or two-spirit individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, where is the focus on them? Exactly. Yes. Um, Yeah. So it's 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 honestly a very hard question for for me to even answer because I just don't have the answers to that. You know, it's it's really upsetting. But I think moving forward, it's now not only just focusing on how do we ensure that we protect our Indigenous women and children, but also how do we just protect the Indigenous community as a whole. 
right? Yes. How do we ensure that we are tracking, that we are providing data, that we're providing the support and the ceremonies and the counseling to those that need it? Doesn't matter the gender. Exactly. Thank you so much for your for your feedback, for your for your amazing words. You're the first actual guest I've had on this show, and I'm so honored that it's you. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you. And I hope we can work together in future episodes. Please let me know if you would like to be on future episodes. I have many planned, so. (laughs) I love it. Well, count me in, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. See you. See you. Bye. I just want to say thank you, Jessica, for being on the show. Your words were very powerful. I know you educated others and even me a little more about this epidemic, and I would love to have you back on the show. Now let's get into the so little effort the federal government has made to try and protect Indigenous women. Savannah's Act was introduced, the Senate passed it, but the House of Representatives decided that they weren't willing to fund this act. They were willing to leave some of these victims of this epidemic no justice. They are willing to allow indigenous women to be more in danger. They're allowing for the problems in this epidemic to stay there and cause even more rift. They're causing the families of these missing missing women and men and girls to be left with no answers. Savannah's act was was made because of the murder of Savannah Greywind. She was an indigenous woman who was kidnapped by her parents' neighbors in Fargo, North Dakota. She was eight months pregnant when this was when she was murdered, very brutally. This may be too violent for younger listeners so please veer listener discretion she was wrapped in duct tape and put in the red river after her baby was cut from her womb 72 hours after she was dumped in the river the murderers were caught and the baby was safe both murders were given life sentences both a female perpetrator and a male perpetrator the red river is looked on as a by the indigenous community as a graveyard because so many of the missing are found in that river in 2014 a crew had found seven bodies in that river If that is not an act that was worth funding, I don't know what is.
Missing, murder, indigenous women and men cases are being reported higher than the national average. We need to spread as much awareness as we can, no matter if you're indigenous or not. One of the most recent things that I saw that has brought major awareness is a documentary called Somebody's Daughter. It revolves around missing, murdered, indigenous women and men cases throughout the tribes of Montana. It is made to inform legislators of the crisis. One particular case that I know that caused a lot more awareness, surprisingly, to this crisis was the murder and disappearing of Selena Nonafraid. Now, her death was not ruled a murder, but I personally think if you were going to leave someone on the side of a highway in the freezing winter, this was during New Year's, by the way, New Year's Eve, that is murder. You are leave some you are leaving. She was only she was only a teenager. And she was with five other adults in a van. The van broke down and she got out to help the driver. And then they left her. And they said they probably said they were going to come back. She was the only woman left there. P uh uh, a person that drove by said that they saw her walk to a field nearby, but that was the last time she was seen. The search for her after she was reported missing was so wide it was in three st other states. It was widened to people on horseback, ATVs, and helicopters. On January 13th, she was finally, her body was found only one mile away from the rest stop. Now it received mass coverage around the United States and she was returned home to her mom. But it still shows that it had to be another girl go missing for others to, for others to bring awareness to this crisis. And that shouldn't have happened. She was a very bright, young, beautiful girl. It's very heartbreaking to know that this happens almost every day. And most cases don't get as much media attention as Selena's. If they were handled as fact-acting as hers, I think the number of missing, murdered, indigenous women and men would be decreasing. Now, this is just an intro of what I, of what missing, murdered, indigenous women cases have been fighting for, for justice. This is what some of the problems are with these cases. This is just an introduction. If you would like more information, please go to www.csvanw.org slash missing murdered indigenous women or mmiw now on facebook there are tons of group profiles made to seek out investigations and justice for their loved ones that are missing or murdered and they are indigenous one group that i am in that i have 
seen so many horrific stories and so many uh, successes of finding their loved ones is Missing Murder Indigenous Women database on Facebook. That's almost around 8.3 thousand members. So people, please help spread the awareness to this epidemic and take a moment of silence to pray for the families and victims who have fallen to this crisis.